So this evening I'd like to um, continue on into the um, the last, the third, the third section in the last three parts of the Eightfold Path. Echo. Um, I'd like to begin by backtracking a little bit. I'd like to go back to um, to the Buddha's first discourse, and right um, right near the the start of the of the first discourse, the Buddha. The Buddha spoke of the Eightfold Path, and then he said, um, um, he, he said, essentially he said, through practicing, he said, there arose within me vision, knowledge, true knowledge, light, liberation. And, and this is, this is a, a very, very important statement. And um, it's a very important statement to to explore and to understand. There, there arose within me. There arose within me vision, knowledge, true knowledge, light, liberation. And what what he's pointing at, what he's pointing at here with the, these these terms of vision, knowledge, true knowledge, what he's pointing at is insight. And the way he phrases it, there arose within me. It arose. The knowledge, the insight arose. And it's, it's, it's significant um, in that it's, it's, it's pointing to this to insight being that knowing which doesn't come down from up here. It arises from within and if we look up if you look up the word insight in the dictionary and, and this is this is important because we do call this insight meditation and so it's important to, to understand what what we're we're pointing at here um, if we look up insight in the dictionary and I've looked it up in many dictionaries just to to confirm what it means we, we use the word insight in in, in many different ways, in many different contexts. If you look it up in the dictionary, what it says is that insight is an intuitive knowing of the inner nature of things without thought. Not exactly the way we commonly use the word insight, but it's exactly what the Buddha meant by insight. Exactly, an intuitive knowing. So it's that knowing that just arises from the gut. It's not coming from here, without thought. And it's an intuitive knowing of the inner nature of things. So what what does that mean? So we use we use insight a way that we we commonly use the word insight and, and I hear it regularly in meetings with people people will come and say oh I had a great insight today just a really powerful insight today I I got why I did such and such and why I acted in such and such a way and I got what's going to fix it And very commonly, we use insight in relation to kind of psychological, psychological dilemmas. We could say we use it in in regard to um, 
to to life's problems, life's issues, the issues, and and we use it as a, as a term to explain when we come up with a solution for a story in our life. In our life, we have a story, some something that's happened in the past, and it's kind of bugging away at us, and and working away in us, and and suddenly we come to some answer for it or some resolution for it and we say insight and 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 it is it is a kind of insight it's it's an understanding and often it is an intuitive knowing often often these these insights these understandings come often they do come when we're not even thinking about the problem okay is that in in your experience you've got some issue and you've kind of been rolling around with it and spending time on it and trying to figure out and working and working and working away at it and then you stop and then ah something comes and you think ah I got it now and so so it is a kind of insight because it is it is often that intuitive knowing Um, it's an intuitive knowing that's come as a result of or as a follow on from a lot of thinking about and trying to figure out. But it's come, you could see it in terms of letting go. It's come in a moment when there's been a releasing, there's been a letting go of the issue, and it brings some openness, and there it is. But the Buddha is referring to an intuitive knowing of the inner nature of things. And he's very specific about this. It's the inner, and, and what is the inner nature of things? What's the inner nature of things? The inner nature of things is these three characteristics we've re- been referring to: anicca, dukkha, anatta. Impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, or unreliability, and and interdependence or conditionality, or contingency. The literal, the literal, and I, I'm only giving you this because if you read the, all the books on Buddhism, you'll read the, 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 a common translation of, of anatta, of the term for this, is no self. And it's an inaccurate, it's a slightly inaccurate translation. The actual translation would be the literal translation would be not self. So the Buddha never said there is no self. He talked about not selfness. And what he meant by that was that there is this self here, there's this there's this mind body here, but this mind body exists the way it does because of a relationship with other conditions. So it's not separate from these other conditions. Okay, and of course, all these conditions that the self isn't separate from are always changing. And so this self is always changing. And these these conditions, the the these conditions are there's there's a there's an unsatisfactoriness with it because we can't rely on them. They're, they're, they're not dependable. We can't control them. 
And so these three characteristics the Buddha described as the nature of things because all things exhibit these characteristics. And so the practice, insight meditation, is meditation for insight. So it's meditation for, it's meditation that's pointing us and using mindfulness and using the investigation quality I spoke of. It's, it's using these these practices, these qualities to kind of set up conditions that allow for the, the vision, the knowledge, the direct knowledge. The direct knowledge of the inner nature of things. And this is the thrust. So the, so the, the meditation, it's not about solving our problems, understanding our issues. The only issue it's concerned with is dukkha and the ending of dukkha. That's all. And it's a very important point to understand. Very important. And it's not to say that there's no value in the other kinds of insight. There is value in it. There is value in it. But with the meditation, it's, it's, it's working at a very different level. It's not about solving the problems or resolving the problems. It's about, it's about ending dukkha so that we can face our problems and deal with our problems without the dukkha, without the struggle, without the resistance, without the angst, without the worry. We can meet with our struggles in life, our difficulties in life, with calmness, with equanimity, with clarity, with wisdom. This is the function of the meditation. Very important. And so the so the, the eightfold path is the path that the Buddha outlined for us. It's a path that, as he said, it leads us to the arising of vision, of knowledge, of true knowledge, of light, of liberation. And it's also the path of vision, knowledge, light, liberation. And as I spoke about the first evening, the uh, the second evening, one evening, <laughs> as I spoke about the the fact, the very fact of being on the path shows that there is some wisdom already, and so it's a path to wisdom, and it's also the path of wisdom. And the wisdom is this this intuitive knowing of the inner nature of things without thinking. Okay, I, I hope everyone can really take that in and really get a, get a sense from that of what the intention is. And, and, it's, and it's because of this, it's because this is the intention that we give so much emphasis on not going into the stories, coming into the body, 
the experience of the body is what's actually happening and it's through the experience of the body that we're most likely to really feel into and to embody these insights. It can be done through mind, but so easily and so habitually, as soon as the attention goes to mind, it's off in the stories. It, 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 it actually, we confuse the stories for mind. The stories aren't really the mind. The stories are just the stuff that goes through the mind, like the clouds that go through the sky. And sometimes they're nice, fluffy, white, beautiful clouds, and sometimes they're dark, thundering, raining, hailing, storming clouds. When, when, the, when the thought process really quiets down and settles, the, the mind activity, we could say, when that settles, then we can give attention to mind. And we can begin to see these three characteristics in mind. We can see the three characteristics in thoughts as well, because we can also know thought without going into the story. And we can see... When we, when we don't go into the story, we can see how a thought arises because of conditions. We see something, and it triggers a thought. We hear a sound, and it triggers a thought. We smell something, it triggers a thought. And then that thought triggers another thought, and another, and another, and another. And there's a beautiful Pali word for this, it's patancha. Papancha is the proliferation of thoughts. And if we don't keep adding on and, and following the story or trying to figure out the story, we can see that the thought comes to an end. Mostly what happens is a thought comes to an end and then another thought immediately comes along. But each thought, each thought has its beginning, its arising, its life, and its end. And if we're not feeding it, it comes to an end, and it's done. If it's fed with more, if it's fed with clinging, if it's fed with clinging, or if it's fed with aversion, then it keeps on going. And so, as, as the Buddha said in the, in the second noble truth, the, the cause of dukkha is clinging. When we cling to something, when we cling to a thought, it perpetuates it, and it creates dukkha. Okay, so, so insight, the insight is seeing into these, seeing is knowing, it's not seeing, it's feeling, it's... It's knowing in the gut. It's, it's this deep knowing of these three characteristics. Okay, and, and, and so again, this is, this is, it's, it's really important to, to see this as part of the path. It's part of the 
the, the wisdom aspect of the path, the first part of the path that I spoke of a couple of nights ago. And it's also part of the, um, the, the sila aspect of the path, which Donna spoke so beautifully about last night. And it's part of the third part of the path. And the third part of the path is given the, the, the overall label of samadhi. So the three aspects of the path are sila, samadhi, and panya. Panya being the wisdom, sila being the ethics, and samadhi being the third part. And then samadhi has, the samadhi aspect has, has three components to it. So we've already gone through five, and now here's the last three. And, um, and it, it, it's a little bit tricky because the second of the three, um, the, the third of the three actually, the last one, the, the third of the three is also called samadhi. And I'll come, I'll come to that later. So last night, um, last night Donna um, spoke a little bit towards the end, the end of her talk. Spoke a little bit about about the need to make effort, and she spoke about the effort to um, the effort to 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 support and the effort to to give rise to and to and to preserve the the wholesome and the effort to prevent and to remove the unwholesome. And then if you remember, if you remember, she, she questioned what is wholesome and what's unwholesome. What, what does that mean? So in the, in, the, in the samadhi section, the first of the three is right effort, or best effort, skillful effort, most appropriate effort, the supreme effort. And in the, in the practice, we, we give a lot of emphasis, maybe too much emphasis, on just being, on not doing, on allowing, accepting, um, being present with, um, not trying to get, not trying to get rid of, all these, all these terms that we use have an implication of not making effort. And yet, <laughs> the, the fifth of the Eightfold Path is right effort. And the, 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 the catch in it lies in the term right. What's, what's right effort? What's skillful effort? And the reason, uh, one of the main reasons that we put so much effort on, so much emphasis on not making effort is because we in this culture are all very skillful at making effort. We know what it is to make effort. We know how to make effort very well. And that effort is usually directed toward Getting, accomplishing, achieving, completing, gaining, accumulating, acquiring, whatever the object is, whether it be a thing or a meditation experience or um, some 
uh, an idea, we make effort, and 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 the the belief is that if we make enough effort, we'll get it, we'll get what we want. And so we've all been well trained in making effort, and so we need to find some balance. And just like the Buddha started out in the palace and he saw the the unsatisfactoriness of that and then he went to the other extreme of the the extreme ascetic practices and he saw no that's not the way the middle way. So sometimes sometimes it requires in order to find the middle way it requires going from one extreme to another. And so we we come here very well trained in effort, and so we say, okay, now let's do no effort. Okay, and and we see that we see that in that not making effort, there's still unsatisfactoriness. You know, even when there's so little effort that we sit and just breathing. Nothing happening. Wonderful, peaceful, calm, quiet, still. Wonderful, wonderful. Now what do I do? We can't just be at rest. The conditioning is so strong that even when we're at rest, something about it is unsatisfactory. And we look for something to do. Well, there must be some problem in here that I need to solve. There must be some issue. Something should show. There must be something wrong with me. <laughs> something wrong with being at ease. Something wrong with being at peace. In Asia, the teachers say over and over again, work, work, work. Because the Asian culture is, huh, it's much more laid back, much less doing. In their culture, in the Asian culture, they've largely been trained to not do. And so the teachers say, work, work. And in fact, the Buddha's very last words, lying on his deathbed, he said, practice with diligence, with zeal. (laughs) Middle path, (laughs) the middle way, the middle way. The middle way is right effort, right effort. So right, right effort, right effort, skillful effort. Skillful effort is is the effort that brings us to the middle. Skillful effort is effort that brings us to balance. So skillful effort is it's it's almost like it's it's a almost constant juggling. (laughs) Not always a constant juggling, because sometimes we do come to a place of rest where effortlessness is really needed, or is not needed. Effort is not needed. Effortlessness is is what's needed. But we we go we go back and forth with things coming up, things passing, other things coming up, other things passing, and these tendencies to want to get things and want to get rid of things 
And so, so right effort, skillful effort, is it's it's a it's a juggling of these and making effort to the extent necessary. Making effort to the extent necessary. So sometimes it's just very slight effort. Sometimes it takes great effort. And it's effort, as as Donna said, it's effort to create the conditions that give rise to the wholesome. And once the wholesome has arisen, to sustain it, to create the conditions that sustain it. And, so that's two types of effort, to give rise and to sustain. And then it's making the effort to turn away from the unwholesome, which is showing, and to prevent the arising of unwholesome, which hasn't already arisen. So the Buddha spoke of these four types of effort. So what is wholesome, what's unwholesome? Essentially, wholesome is what leads us toward or inclines us toward the ending of Dukkha. Wholesome is what inclines us toward right intention. Unwholesome is that which leads us into more Dukkha. So to be able to know what's wholesome, unwholesome, really requires mindfulness. It requires investigation. It requires wisdom to know, is this leading me to Dukkha, or is it leading me to the ending of Dukkha? Our our tendency is very often... Often we can we can recognize where effort is needed, but very often because of our conditioning and our hab- habitual tendencies, we tend to make too much effort. And so there's a real skill in a real skill that comes through the practice and comes through experience to know how much effort and when to make the effort. And so the, so the mindfulness and the, and the investigation, the, these, these qualities are so important in relation to, to right effort. Right effort. The, um, the, the, the second of these three, the second of these three is our old friend mindfulness. Right mindfulness, right mindfulness. And we all know now what mindfulness is. We've all been practicing it for a few days, cultivating it for a few days. Mindfulness, mindfulness is, it seems like a very easy thing, doesn't it? It seems like it should be really easy to just be mindful. (laughs) But we all know how difficult it can be how difficult it can be to to be steady with something, anything, to be steady with anything. We choose the breathing, 
and how difficult it is to just stay with the breathing. You know, the mind comes up with all kinds of reasons to do something else. It's so simple, just feel the body breathing. Mindfulness is that that quality of being steady with it, without judging, without commenting on, without trying to add anything to it, without trying to take anything away from it, just opening to it as it is. We do the body scan. We go to the body scan. It should be really easy just to move the attention up and down through the body and just feel the body. It's not so easy, is it? Attention goes off to other things. Get to a place where there's an unpleasant sensation and, oh, body scan? There's no body scan. There's just, oh, it's pain. It's pain. It's just pain. When we get to a unpleasant, when we get to a pleasant sensation, it's, oh, I think I'll just hang out here for a while. This is great. Or we get to a place where there's, where there's very neutral, and it's like there's nothing happening. It should be something. It's not so easy just to, just to move the attention down through the body and feel, the, feel all the sensations, open to all the sensations, and then move back up through the body, and then move back down through the body, and back up, and just, you know, did it yesterday in a, maybe what, maybe 25 minutes out of a 45 minute sitting? Has anyone been, has anyone, has anyone done the body scan today for a whole 45 minute period? One hand went up. Mindfulness is cultivated by staying with. And when the attention goes off, coming back, that's mindfulness. That moment of coming back is mindfulness. It's a moment of remembering. Oh yeah, breathing. Oh yeah, body scan. Oh, come back. Start again. That moment of coming back and that moment of starting again, those are the moments of mindfulness. And as we've spoken about, mindfulness is, is the foundation. Mindfulness is the foundation of the whole thing. Without mindfulness, without mindfulness, um, sila is going to be very difficult. Without mindfulness, how do you know when to make effort, when not to make effort, how much effort to make? Without mindfulness, how are you going to how are you going to stay clear with your intention and know when you're going in that direction and when you're going off? Mindfulness is so important. But it's just one aspect of the path. The, the, third, the third one, and the, and the final, the last, the eighth of the eight, is also samadhi. And samadhi, the translation of samadhi is concentration. And I, I, I've always 
I've always found it fascinating that the Buddha puts concentration number eight and how so often when we come to practice we have this tendency to put concentration number one. It's meditation gets so so associated with concentration. I don't know how it's come about that way, but it, it's very much associated with concentration. And, and when we sit down to meditate, we think right away, even though, and, and I've, I've taught retreats where I've intentionally not once mentioned the word concentration, and people will come and say, I don't have any concentration. My concentration is terrible. And I'll say, well, who told you to have concentration? Well, that's what all the books say. And, 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 and this idea that before I begin, before I can do anything with the meditation, I have to get concentrated. I have to be concentrated, just fixed on this breathing. And if the mind goes off anywhere, I'm not concentrated. And then I can't meditate. I have to concentrate. And so we fall back on our habitual tendency and we make effort to concentrate. You gotta concentrate. I've got to just hold the attention on on the breathing. And just stay with it. And there's a tightening and a gripping. (laughs) Trying to hold it. And and what we discover is no matter how hard we try, (laughs) we can't. (laughs) Have you noticed that? No matter how hard we try to just hold the attention there, something will pop up in the mind and trigger a chain of thoughts that will go off somewhere. And we've gotten so tight around it, we've created so much dukkha by trying to get concentrated. And yet concentration is part of the path. But right concentration... So what is right concentration? I mentioned, um, I mentioned, when was it? Yesterday in the instructions. Yeah, when I talked about, um, about investigation of states, I mentioned that the Buddha outlined these seven factors. And, of course, concentration is one of them, and I'll come to that. So the first one, as I mentioned, is mindfulness. So mindfulness is the starting and then the second is investigation. The investigation, the interest, curiosity, investigation of states, investigation of how it is, investigation into the nature of things, investigation into these three characteristics, investigating the object to see with the breathing, for example, is it changing? Is it impermanent? Or is it permanent? And of course, we see that it's changing. Is it conditioned? We see, we see, yes, it's conditioned. We see it because we see that when maybe a sound comes and maybe we'll feel the breath change or the mind starts going, and we can feel a change in the breathing or an emotion, anger comes, and we can feel a change in the breathing. So we see how the breathing is conditioned by other things. 
is the breathing reliable? We know that at some point it's going to stop. We know that. And, and for some people, unfortunately, in sleep, it does stop. And so you have to wear masks and, and take medicines and things. It's unreliable. And, and the reason for paying attention to it is to, is, to, is to feel this, to feel these three characteristics and to really take them in and to embody them to the point that we live from that knowing. Investigation of states. The third, the third, the third one, the third on this list of, of seven, is um, when we're when we're really paying attention to something, really present with something, and we're really interested in it. We're really interested in it. What comes is energy. Okay. Have you noticed that? When you really get interested in something and you're paying attention, no matter how tired and exhausted you are, if something or someone comes along that you're really interested in, all of a sudden, there's energy. And so mindfulness and investigation bring energy. When that comes, when, there's that, that, when that energy comes, it feels good. There's we, 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 we get really engaged with what we're doing and there's joy and delight in doing it. And that's the next factor. After the energy comes joy, delight. And that joy and that delight has the effect of steadying the attention so that we're able to stay. We, we just naturally stay more present with whatever it is because there's enjoyment in it. And so we stay with it. It's a calming. It's a, a calming aspect. We become more calm with the, with the object, with whatever it is we're doing, we're engaged in. And that calming, as that strengthens, it becomes very naturally without making effort, without trying, it becomes concentration. The mind becomes concentrated. It's just a natural process that doesn't require, i got to do it, i got to do it. And it's conditioned by calmness and joy. And so if you want concentration, the trick is to practice in a way that it brings joy and calmness. And then the concentration comes naturally. And this kind of concentration, this is right concentration. And it's right concentration because it's the concentration that that holds the attention with the object with spaciousness, with lightness, with ease. And in that, in that, there is the, the, there's the, there's the knowing of ease. 
and the, the, the Buddha spoke the Buddha spoke of one of the one of the benefits of concentration is to know ease in this very moment. Just to know ease. And the other benefit of it is that by holding the attention with the object, it brings us into even closer contact with the object so that we can come to know the three characteristics even more profoundly. And so the concentration leads us right back to the wisdom. So the end of the path becomes the beginning of the path. And so when we see the Eightfold Path, we see it written as a, as a list of eight things. But it would probably be more accurate to draw it as a circle. And that would be even more accurate to draw the circle and then have a line connecting, <laughs> interconnecting all of, the diff- all of the eight with each other. Because they all impact on each other. We can take as a practice, as a practice, we can, we can say, okay, today I'm going to work on right speech. Today I'm going to really give attention to right speech. I'm going to, right speech is my practice for today. And there's, there's, there's tremendous value in that. I, I, I actually, I encourage you to take, take one of these eight for a week at a time. Spend a week on each one. And so we can use them as a practice in that way. But, but what, what's amazing is that the more we practice one, the more we start to see how the others all get drawn into it and how they all interact. And so, so being, uh, being on the path, being on the path is encompassing the whole of the path. To be on the path is to encompass the whole of the path, all eight. It's not a step by step by step by step. It's one path. And that and that path, it's it's the path that 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 brings vision and knowledge and true knowledge and light and liberation. And and it, it 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 brings that it brings that in a way when we when we look at the look at the path and consider all eight we see that the path is not just sitting on the cushion. The path is not just slow walking. The path is not standing still. The path is every aspect and every moment of our lives. Right speech, right action, right livelihood, right intention, right mindfulness. These apply in every aspect of our lives. And so the, the, the formal practice and the being on retreat hopefully, hopefully is providing the conditions that allow us to to have some insight. The conditions that allow for the revelation of the insight. 
And part of the insight is knowing that it applies in every moment. And so practice on the retreat, it's not just the the formal sitting, walking, standing, it's also doing your yogi job in the morning or whenever you do it. It's also standing in the queue for meals. It's also eating meals. It's also, and even the Buddha said, it's also going to the toilet. It's every moment. So every moment is, a, is an opportunity to practice the path. Every moment is an opportunity to follow the path. And every moment is an opportunity to be on the path. The path of liberation, the path of the the ending of dukkha, the path of vision, of knowledge, of true knowledge, of light, of throwing down the burden, lifting the lifting the weight off your shoulders. As the the Buddha, the phrase that the Buddha used, he said. It, what was to be done is done. <laughs> so the path is, 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 is doing what needs to be done until we reach the point where it is done and we know it's done. It's known to be done. So let's all sit together quietly for a few minutes. Sitting quietly on the path.